Welcome to Faster Please, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas. Several times a month, I'll feature a lively conversation with a fascinating and provocative guest about how to make the world a better place through scientific discovery, technological innovation, and economic growth. You're also going to want to check out my Faster Please newsletter here on Substack throughout the week for fresh essays, Q&As, and stories from around the internet and around the world. British economist Thomas Malthus is most famous for a 1798 theory that while population growth is exponential, food production grows linearly. The consequence? Starvation due to overpopulation. Despite simultaneous population growth and resource abundance since then, Malthusian thinking hasn't gone away. Even today, various philosophers and scientists sound the alarm about overpopulation and overconsumption. In the new book, Superabundance, the story of population growth, innovation, and human flourishing on an infinitely bountiful planet, Marion Tupi and Gail Pooley argue against this mindset. Marion joins this episode of Faster Please, the podcast, to discuss the book. Marion is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and editor of humanprogress.org. Marion, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, there's only so much Earth. So eventually, aren't we going to run out of Earth and its bounty? Well, it's certainly true that the Earth has a finite number of atoms, but the amount of value that we can get from those atoms is basically infinite. Uh, look at something as simple as sand that has been on Earth for billions of years. Uh, then at some point, thousands of years ago, people realized that they could turn sand into glass jars and later into windows. And now we are using sand in order to create fiber optic cables, which are carrying information around the world at very high speeds and uh, a lot of volume in order to power our civilization's communication networks. So from something as simple as a grain of sand, you can get ever more value. If you are somebody who thinks economic growth is a good thing, who wants who wants the global economy to keep growing, and gee, it'd be, it'd be great if it grew even faster. At some point, it's going to hit a, a limit. Uh, I mean, aren't we already seeing that with, I hear about lithium shortages, that lithium shortages will are going to uh, slow the green transition. So aren't people who are sort of pro-growth, pro-progress, or pro-abundance, even pro-superabundance, isn't that just kind of a, a temporary state and eventually, I don't know, 50 years, 100, that that's just not a tenable position over the really long, long run? No, because knowledge continues to expand uh, as long as we have more people on Earth and uh, hopefully one day uh, in cooperation with AI or advanced computing, uh, we'll be able to create ever more knowledge. And it is that knowledge which allows us to get around problems of scarcity. Uh, lithium is a perfect example. Lithium ion batteries are a massive advance in terms of storage of electricity. But who is to say whether batteries in the future will be powered by lithium? Maybe we'll come up with a different compound which will allow us to store energy at a much cheaper price. In fact, people are already working on uh, uh, basically uh, creating batteries out of uh, not lithium ion, but sodium ion. 
which apparently is going to last even longer and will be massively cheaper. So it's not only a question of uh, sort of efficiency gains, you know, instead of using three ounces of uh, tin or aluminum for a can of Coke, you are now using only half an ounce. And it's not just about technological breakthroughs, like, for example, GMO food, so that you can increase the, um, the, the yield of plants for an acre of land. But it's also about substitution. This is very important. It's about substitution. You, 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 you are using something in order to get to a certain goal. But you may realize 10 years, 100 years from now that you don't actually need it, that you need something completely different. And humanity has been through this very often. I mean, uh, 200 years ago, the great discovery was, of course, coal and uh, and steam. And uh, people uh, immediately started wondering what is going to happen by the year 1900 or 1950 when we are all going to run out of coal. And then oil and gas came on board and displaced coal uh, to, a, to a great extent. So substitution will play its role and lithium is not going to be a problem. There was certainly a time where people were, we were, and some people still are worried very much about overpopulation. And this really became a thing in the ni- early 1970s where we were, we were worried that we had too many people. We were worried about natural resource constraints. We were, you know, we were going to be running out of oil and just about everything else. How much sort of is, is your thesis based on the idea that global population will continue to grow to you know, maybe 10 or 11 billion and then it stops. I mean, would you, would your thesis be, would you still have this thesis if we were going to have a population of 30 billion people, all of whom would like to live like Americans do today, if not better. So is the idea of sort of a constrained population sort of key to this forecast? You started by pointing to the 1970s. And whilst it is true that many academics have sort of departed from the basic Malthusian premise that uh, more people will lead to an exhaustion of resources, what we found writing this book was very disturbing, which is that Malthusian ideas are much more widespread than we originally thought amongst the common public, amongst the ordinary people. In fact, as far as we can tell, a disproportionate number of mass shooters in America and also around the world, especially in developed countries, have been people driven by Malthusian ideas. This goes back to Andreas Breivik in Norway, then uh, the guy called Tarant in, I believe he was in New Zealand, all the way to the mass shooters in the United States, um, uh, the uh, guy who killed 22 people in El Paso in Walmart a couple of years ago. Um, all of these people have been driven by the notion that there are far too many people in the world using far too many resources. So uh, so the, the, the Malthusian notions are still very much present. You can also get them from multinational organizations like the United Nations. You have these uh, public... Um, you have these websites like, uh, what is it, the Overshoot Day and, and, and things like that. So, so people still buy into it, and that's deeply worrying because obviously we think that population Overshoot meaning is- that we're overshooting sort of the capacity uh, of, uh, of our, our resources and that we would need, and that for everyone to live like Americans, we'd need 10 Earths, and obviously we don't have 10 Earths. Yeah, the current calculations say that we are already using 1.7 planets in order to maintain our standards of living, which is ridiculous because we still only have one planet. So how can we already be using 1.7 planets? It doesn't make any sense. Well, wouldn't they say that just this isn't sustainable? People um, who are very worried about running out of everything, 
when they talk about growth, it's never just growth, it's sustainable growth. What they mean is sustainable environmentally. Yeah, and, and, and when it comes to that, then, then of course we have to ask, well, how is this unsustainability? How would it present itself in, in the real world? People are living longer, people are living richer lives. Um, you know, the, the, the very fact that longevity has been expanding until, until COVID suggests that we are also living healthier lives. We are better fed. And not just that, as countries become richer, they have much more money to spend on uh, environmental protection. I mean, the extraordinary lengths that uh, Western societies go through in order to protect their oceans and their and their land and their bio uh, biomass and biodiversity, nothing like this has been done by humans before. And and so you know, where is this where is this apocalypse going to come from? Um, Another way of looking at it is the question of, you know, existential threat. Well, existential threat to whom? Existential threat to humanity. But how are we going to measure it? Well, the only way we can measure it is by looking at how many people a year are dying due to extreme weather. And that particular statistic has been reduced by 99.8% over the last 100 years. So even though the language of the extreme environmentalist movement is getting more and more apocalyptic, the number of people who are dying due to extreme weather is continuing to collapse. Well, let, let me ask that question in a, in, a, in, a, in a simpler way. Do we have the ability, do we have the, the resources for everyone on this planet to have the, at least the standard of living as Americans and Western Europeans do today? Can we do that? Because that's, that's the response I often get at social media to say that we cannot afford to have 8 billion people living the way 300 million Americans do. Is that possible? If the, if the basic premise of the book is correct, then yes, not just for 8 billion, but potentially substantially more for the following reason. And that is that ideas are not constrained by the laws of physics. Um, yes, the planet's atoms are constrained by the laws of physics, but not the ideas produced by the human brain. And so long as you have more people living in freedom, communicating together, exchanging ideas, in the words of Matt Ridley, ideas having sex, then you can always come up with a solution to uh, shortages, which would be in that case, temporary, driving up prices, therefore uh, allowing people or incentivizing them to look for solutions. So, um, yeah, the, the essence of the book, there are no physical limits to abundance, and therefore it, it should be possible to for the world to have the living standards of Americans. Is this a faith-based premise based on a fairly short period in human existence that you're assuming that we can still do it, that, that, that humanity is ingenious enough that we can continue to sort of be more efficient and come up with new ways of doing things infinitely. It's, uh, is it faith-based? Uh, you know, Thomas Sowell has that great quote that the caveman had exactly the same amount of resources that we have in the world today. And the difference between their standards of living and our standards of living is the knowledge that we bring to bear onto the resources that we have. In fact, you might argue that the only reason why any resources are valuable is because of the ability of human beings to interact with them and produce value out of them. So if you think about the immense uh, difference between our standards of living and those of you know, people in the Stone Age, um, and, and again, the resources haven't gone anywhere, they're still with us. 
except for a few tons of metal that we have shot into space, everything else is still here. The same amount of copper, the same amount of iron. There is no reason to think that people 200 years from now who are much richer than us couldn't utilize those resources in a similarly beneficial well, uh, let fashion. Me, let, let me ask you this. So who, so who should the burden of proof be on? People who think that we are, who, who, who are worried about the sustainability of growth, who think there are there's no way this earth can tolerate eight or 10 billion people living like Western, Western Europeans. Should the burden proof be on them or should the burden of proof be on you to say that, yes, we've done it in the past and we can continue to do it in the future? Well, I, I think the burden should be on, on them in the following sense, is that this is not the first time that this particular concept um, has been proposed. I mean, the, the famous wager between Simon and Ehrlich was essentially... Explain that wager just very briefly for people. What, what, what is that wager? So Paul Ehrlich was the, was the famous, in fact, is the famous biologist from Stanford University. He wrote the 1968 Population Bomb book, which became an international bestseller. He was on Johnny Carson's show like 20 times, uh, scared and scarred um, generations of Americans into believing that, uh, you know, the world was going to end because of lack of natural resources. In fact, uh, it was based on his work that you've got Soil and Green, the famous 1973 movie with Charlton Heston. And that movie basically culminates in 2022. It's this year that the movie is supposed to happen. And of course, we never got anything like that. Well, on the, on, on, on the East Coast, um, Julian Simon at University of Maryland basically challenged him to a bet. And he said, look, Ehrlich, you pick any commodities you want uh, and a time period more than a year. Uh, we are going to put $1,000 on it. And if the prices go up, whilst the population expands, I'm going to pay you. If the prices go down, then uh, you pay me. And in fact, Ehrlich lost that bet and had to write Simon a check for $576. So, um, you know, these these believers in, in the apocalypse, they've been at this for so long that I feel that it's time for them to start convincing us that in fact the apocalypse is coming rather than us trying to remind them of all the previous, um, you know, predictions of apocalypse which didn't come true. Um, I'm willing to go and, and do a bet like that. Um, now, the, the other thing that you ask is, is this possible? Is, this, is it feasible for us to continue like that? And, and I believe that it is feasible so long as we have at least part of the world that is still free um, economically and politically. Obviously, I mean, not obviously, but I don't think that we can expect cutting edge research from China, which is increasingly restrained politically and economically, where people cannot are not free to speak, um, interact with ideas. Um, but so long as we are free in, in, in Western countries, be it the United States or some other country, if freedom of speech comes to an end here, then then you know we can still produce we can still produce research, we can still produce progress. But of course, my belief, part of the book is that you know, the more people who are free, the better. It's not just about population. It's population times freedom. Freedom is incredibly important. China has been the most populous country for a very long time, but they were dirt poor until they started liberalizing. So the freedom component is very important. Why is this belief so persistent? I still hear people think who, who still think that we are headed toward a population of you know, 30 billion who think that's a that think that's a big issue who are very surprised to learn that there are p countries where the if the population isn't already shrinking it's it's, it's very close who why do or do we naturally want to believe these kinds of, of stories 
I, I don't know. Was it was Julian Simon ever on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson? No, of course not. He never got any professional uh, award in his entire life. Um, and and you're right to say that there was always an opposition to these Malthusian thoughts. I mean, even uh, shortly after Malthus died, there was a big debate in Britain over who was right. Um, then they revisited the whole concept of uh, shortage of natural resources in the late 19th century. So it, it goes through through ups and downs. Um, but there's something in it. That we, we kind but, of but like there's something the in story it. And, 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 is, yeah, what is that? Yeah, yeah. Have and, we identified and, and, what that is? And the big question is uh, what it is. And I think that this particular problem could have many fathers, so to speak. Uh, one of them is that people have been traditionally um, not numerate. And uh, we have a problem with the notion of exponential growth and compounding. Uh, Paul Romer put his finger on it. And that is that we, that ideas do not add up, they multiply, right? And so he's got that famous example of, uh, you know, of the periodic table. Once you start interacting with compounds consisting of 10 elements on the periodic table, which has 100, 100 elements in it, you're talking about more possible combinations, more possible calculations, more possible recipes for future progress than there are number of seconds since the beginning of the Big Bang 14 and a half billion years ago. So th there's just so much knowledge which, which can still be discovered. We have only scratched the, the surface of knowledge. And I think that's part of, part of the reason why people are uh, people are so pessimistic is that they do not understand the potential for creation of new knowledge. And also the, the, the other reason probably is that, you know, uh, world really is finite. Um, th that is absolutely true. Um, but it's also irrelevant because it's what you do with those resources that matters. You can, as, as I mentioned with the example of sand and, 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 and fibers, you, you can use resources in ever more valuable ways. And I know this this isn't key to your thesis, but uh, we do live in a universe. So if you say like, okay, maybe you're right today, but in a thousand years you'll be wrong. Well, a lot can happen in a thousand years. If I if I'm betting on a thousand years, I, I I would also get guess that if we somehow hit some constraint here on Earth, we have a whole universe of stuff that we could draw upon. Well, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine if, if wealth continues to expand at the current rate, uh, what sort of species we would encounter in a thousand years and their technological abilities? I, a lot, I, a lot of asteroids out there. A lot of what, asteroids out there. What, what, what worries me uh, is actually that, that, that there aren't enough people, that there won't be enough people to, to explore all those possible avenues for creation of new knowledge. You know, you mentioned, um, you mentioned population growth. I mean, uh, population is below replacement level in 170 countries out of 190. We are going to peak uh, in 2060 and then start declining. So instead of worrying about 30 billion people, we are going to have to worry about a population that, that is going to be basically uh, as big in 2100 as it is today. And, and that really constrains the, 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 the knowledge horizon and how fast we get there. And that brings with it all sorts of other problems. You know, uh, when people say, and I was actually speaking to somebody yesterday about this, that um, that perhaps we have enough wealth. And I cannot help but think, imagine of all the possible problems that we could encounter in the future, all the other existential threats, be it 
asteroids or a new pathogen or something like that. I want the society to be super rich so that if we need to uh, shut down the economy for another year, we can afford to do so rather than do it on, you know, with debt. Or if we, if we do encounter an asteroid that's hurling towards Earth, uh, we have a super powerful laser powered by mega fusion power station that it can blast it out of the sky. So we never know what the future is going to what future is going to hold. But I would much rather have a wealthier society deal with it than a poorer and more technologically primitive society dealing with it. Despite the fact that these that these predictions that were made a half century ago have not panned out, that there were that these bets have been lost. If there's any example of sort of the continued power of this idea, is really the is really the uh, movie Avengers. And the uh, Infinity War series where the key villain, Thanos, his entire, and this is a multi-billion dollar franchise, and his entire plot is to kill half of all life everywhere in the universe because we're running out of space. Apparently, plenty of people signed off on that idea and said, yes, the audience will accept that. And the audience did accept that. Yeah, in, in the book, we talk about that movie, and I think that one in five Americans saw it, but it was just one of the movies made based on Malthusian principles. Uh, there was Kingsman, uh, the, the, and there was also Inferno, and they were all based on, on Malthusian ideas. So I think... I believe what, there's there's one, something... there was one of the James Bond films, one more recent, also was, was based on the peak oil theory, too. I would doubt that there was anyone at a Hollywood studio who said, this is an absurd idea. Yeah. I don't know whether you would call it genetic or cultural, but this notion of limits must be deeply embedded in, in, in our psyche. And the key to breaking with that, with that thinking has to be the embrace of knowledge, understanding that knowledge uh, can solve all of our problems. Just about everything that you see around you in the world today that you bemoan is due to lack of knowledge. People are dying of cancer because of lack of knowledge. Babies are dying in Africa from malaria because of lack of knowledge, although that's being fixed already by, uh, by vaccines. So um, more knowledge to better. And the thing is that currently it's only the human mind that is capable of producing new knowledge. So we still need people. Now, maybe at some point in the future, we are going to have a super smart AI that is going to produce its own new knowledge. But, you know, right now, that's not a realistic option. And so I think that, that there is something to be said for, uh, for population growth. Now, what we are certainly not suggesting is that people should be forced to, to, to have more babies. The books, uh, the books, uh, are, are, there people, are there people who've suggested that's what you're saying? <laughs> I hope not. No, no, that, that's certainly not something. But the, the, the goal of the book is much less ambitious. The goal of the book is to say to all those parents around the world who are worried about bringing a new child into the world because it will be a drag on resources, because it will be a cancer on the planet, is you don't have to worry about that. Your child um, has the potential of contributing to the, to, to, to the scope and uh, um, to the scope of and stock of human knowledge. So um, we are basically just tackling one aspect of this anti-nativist, anti-natalist, and anti-humanist um, worldview, which is the issue with resources. And and if we can convince people that that it's still okay to have children, 
the question famously posed by AOC, then then we will have done something good, I think. Marion, fantastic. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much. 